0: That would be like, you know, Um, probably be a little bit annoying to go to grow up with a perfect brother that you're always sinning against, but he's never sinning against you, right? And it's like, hey, James, Jesus did the dishes again without asking, you know, and it'd be nice if you could emulate your brother a little bit. But we know that more than um, James's brother, Jesus became James's Lord and he followed Jesus. Um, to his own death, 30 years after Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Um, we see that James was martyred um, for his faith. And then James wrote this letter to Jewish Christians that were dispersed out from Jerusalem. And according to the ESV Study Bible, uh, James's readers were suffering persecution, living in poverty. They were in social and spiritual conflict, and many believers were living in a worldly manner, much like uh, we see today. And James corrects them and challenges them to seek God's wisdom to work out these problems. And so today we're going to be in James chapter 5, walking verse by verse through this book, verses 1 through 6. And we receive wisdom for how the rich ought to live in our culture. Um, I'm literally just going to have two points tonight. Um, so if you're wondering why I'm on point one, like 20 minutes in, you don't need to sweat. You don't need to worry. We're not going to be here till 10 o'clock tonight. Um, we're just going to have two points. I'll hang out for a while on our first one, which is this. Money is not bad, but it is dangerous. And then the second point will be only the gospel can free us. And now let me just say this before we dive in um, Ryan, Miles, myself, as ministerial staff, we didn't just sit around in a room and say, how can we figure out how to get our people to give more money to the church, right? Like when we decided to go through the book of James, Ryan's heart was to shepherd God's people, to love God's people. And so uh, we did not pick this book so that we would eventually land in topics about um, finances. That is where scripture Goes And so Ryan's probably not going to come back from vacation with a new Rolex on his wrist. And I'm not going to go get Nikes after this. Um, We're not going to take up um, an offering or anything like that tonight. So rest assured. Um, And then let me just say this. This is an observation that I made as I was preparing uh, my message for tonight. That Jesus talked about money, about more than anything else that he talked about. And I, I notice a lot of times that pastors will get up and will say something like, Guys, we never talk about money here. I'm, I'm sorry to talk about it. we're almost apologetic for it. And yet Jesus talks about money a ton. And what's interesting is Jesus spoke everything into existence. He's the creator of everything. He's in need of nothing or no one. And yet he speaks of money. He takes two fish and five loaves and turns it into a feast for thousands. And yet he talks about Money and so I don't think he talks about money as someone who has need, he's not after our checkbooks, but Jesus is after our hearts. And I think what we're going to find tonight is that our bank accounts and our souls are more intricately uh, woven together than we might think. And so I'm going to read this text starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. You can follow along with me, turn your Bibles on on your devices. Or you can look at the screen. It says, Come now, you rich. And already some of you are checking out and you're like, Well, I came to the wrong cross training because I am not among the rich. And um, I think we're all pretty quick to say, like, mm, I'm not among the rich, but Andy, I thought, providentially shared on Sunday, uh, globalrichlist.com, if you weren't here, he showed some very fascinating facts about just wealth on a global um kind of scale. And here's the reality. If you make $25,000 a year, which is $20,000 less than the Salinas median household income. So if you made 25 a year, you would be among the 98 percentile of wealthiest people in the world. Or if you're in college and you're thinking, I'm going to go get a good job. You know what? I'm just going to drop out. I'm going to make minimum wage, and I'm going to work 40 hours a week. You would be in the 93rd percentile of the wealthiest people on the planet. So I just throw this out there uh, before you dismiss yourself and think, man, somebody else needs this message. Because we typically, when we talk about money or really approach God's word in general, we can think, ah, this person needs this. I don't really need this. And so, man, my challenge to you as we open God's word is to lean in and to say, okay, God, what do you have for me? All right. I made it two words in, three words in. Come now, you Rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? This is not positive, encouraging Caleb right now. It says, Behold, Father God, uh, you know how inadequate I am, and yet, God, I know how sufficient your word is. So, God, I pray for each of us tonight as we hear your word uh, spoken, God, that you would guard me from error and that you would guard all of our hearts and minds, that we would receive your word, that we would be pierced by it, and that we would be as James tells us not just hearers of your word, but doers of it. God, would you change us from the inside out? We ask it for your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as I already mentioned, Jesus is the half-brother of James. In about 15 years or so, give or take, before James was written, Jesus, during his public ministry, gave the most famous sermon, the Sermon, on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 21, I think it's interesting. You'll see a huge parallel and it's worth sharing, I believe, tonight. So I'm going to read this to you. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus teaching says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let me submit this to you tonight. If you are like, what's going on in my heart? Before you start thinking, how, how do I feel how do, what do I really love? What do I really worship? Where is my heart really at? How do, what do I feel like right now? Before you ask, how do I feel? Or before you say, all right, I'm going to go to my spouse or I'm going to go to my closest friends or I'm going to go to my coworkers and say, hey, what do, you, what do you think my heart is in this life? What do you think I really just love? Um, Jesus says, you don't need to do any of that. What you need to do is look at your bank statement, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you put your money is where your heart is going to be. And just like the, lo- the scale doesn't lie when we step on it to-, to see what our weight is, right? The bank does not lie about where our heart is. These are not my words, right? These are Jesus's words. So in other words, talk is cheap. You can think, I'm just a generous person, right? Or I know how to handle my money well. Well, Jesus says, look at your bank statement. All right, this is going to get bad or worse before it gets better. Our first point tonight is this. Money is not bad, but it is dangerous. It is dangerous. Man, I love fire. I love fire. Not in like a really weird, like I'm a pyromaniac kind of guy, but I love at Christmas time. At least I don't think I am. At Christmas time, everybody's gathered around and you've got a fire going in the fireplace and you've got like coffee or hot chocolate or tea, whatever your hot drink of choice is, and you're just sitting there enjoying being warmed by the fire, right? Fire can be a beautiful thing. It can cook meals for a family. It can warm your home, and yet fire is dangerous. It can wreak havoc. It could burn down your home, and in the same way, Money is not bad, but it's dangerous. Or think about sex. It's a good gift that God has given to us. And yet we take it and we put it in our own context. We pervert it and use it for what we want. And it becomes a toxic thing in our families. It tears apart our culture and our society. In the same way, money is not bad. But it is dangerous. And I'm going to kind of explain two main reasons that money is dangerous. It's dangerous because of our deceptive culture that we're in. And it's dangerous because of our deceptive hearts. I was doing some research and found that digital marketing experts estimate that most Americans are exposed to around 4,000 to 10,000. advertisements, get this, every single day. 4,000 to 10,000 every single day. This is according to Red Crow Marketing. I've got my notes if you want to fact check any of this afterwards. And you might be like, well, Jason, I know, okay, maybe that's like Philadelphia or New York, or that's like Chicago, but we live in Salina, Kansas. And Let's just face it, things roll a little bit slower here. So it's probably not 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements a day. Well, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, and let's say it's 10% of that. And let's say that just 10% of what that these marketing experts are saying is true here in our context, in Salina, and the Salina um, area. So that's 400 to 1,000. So we'll just say that. So 400 times to 1,000 times each and every day, you are being strategically screamed at told you need this man if you want to be popular you've got to have this you've earned this you deserve this i remember this uh enterprise commercial um years ago and it was about this guy that was going back to his 10 year um reunion high school reunion and it was like he wanted to make an appearance, right? So it was like, let us pick you up. You can get this really nice car, and then you can pull in, and your and your classmates are going to be like, man, look at Ted. He he, he arrived. He made it, right? So four hundred to a thousand times a day. That's on. That's if we just take ten percent of what these experts are saying. We're we're hearing messages of what we need, what we should buy. No money down today. You can get it. And if you think, if we think, if I think we're not being phased by these voices that are screaming for our attention, I think we have been duped. We've been fooled. Our culture is deceptive. Can we agree about that? Would you say we live in a deceiving culture? That one's easy to agree upon. What might be a harder pill to swallow tonight is that what makes this so dangerous is that we receive it with a deceptive heart. Jeremiah 17.9 um, says this, The heart is deceitful above, what does that say, all things. You're like, well, I'm a pretty kind person. Well, actually, according to this scripture, it says before we're a kind person, before our hearts are kind, they're actually deceitful. Right? Or I'm a loving person. I'm a generous person. Um, well, before you are a loving and generous person, the Bible says that your heart is at deceitful um, first. And then it says desperately sick. And in other translations, you might see the word uh, wicked. It's wicked. Who can understand it? Again, welcome to Crosspoint where we just are so <laughs> encouraging and positive all the time. So the truth of the matter is this, even if you could escape the culture that God has sovereignly placed you in, which he doesn't want you to, but even if you could, let's say you could lock yourself in a room, you could put your fingers in your ears and close your eyes, even then you can't escape your deceptive hearts. And one way that we are deceived and one symptom of our deception is anxiety. We're just going to talk a little bit about anxiety tonight. How do we use our money to free us from anxiety? Well, we use our money as a future hope from life's disasters. We think if I have a big enough Roth IRA or 403B set up in life, I can rest, right? I can rest. I'll have made it. My future is taken care of. Christopher Hayes um, a gentleman who wrote the book The Twilight of the Elites. He states that Fidelity did this survey and I think it's really interesting so I want to share it with you. He sur- they surveyed Fidelity surveyed a group of people with at least 1 million dollars in assets which excludes real estate and retirement. Okay? So they're surveying a group of people that have at least One million dollars in assets, so I have been excluded from the the study at this point, right? Many of us have been excluded from the study. At least one million dollars in assets, excluding their real estate and their um, retirement, Roth IRA, four hundred three b. So this is like a million dollars in wealth building, just like fun money, right? These are the people that they are um, surveying in this study, and we're talking like bare minimum, at least. One million, okay? Everybody tracking with me? Know where we're at? Here's what's crazy to me. Almost half, 42% that they surveyed said this. I don't feel wealthy. I don't feel wealthy. And you're like, have you looked at your bank lately, you know, you are wealthy. You have at least a million dollars, plus you've got your real estate. If you've got that much money, maybe you've got houses and not just a house. And I don't feel wealthy. Well, I think there's a reason for this. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor who was um, martyred for um, trying to take down, um, you know, uh, Hitler during World War II. And he was, um, uh, he said this, he was a pastor of pastors and I just uh, love him. If you haven't, if you like to read, he's got a couple of books that are really good. Um, What are they? Cost of Discipleship. And then another book that's really good called Life Together. It's a really great book about what's community supposed to look like as a family of faith. But anyway, that was extra. That was just on top of what I prepared tonight. But he says this earthly goods deceive the human heart into believing that they give it security and freedom from worry. But in truth, they are what cause anxiety. Who here for your first car? I don't know about you guys. Did anybody get like a clunker for their first car? You know, did you guys get a clunk? Okay, awesome. Fellow clunkers out there, um, I'm very grateful. I turned 16. My mom gave me her um, hand me down, it was a 1994. Now I haven't done the math. I don't know remember how old I was, or I remember how old I was when I turned 16. I don't remember what year that was, but it was an, not a new car. It was a '94 Chevrolet Cavalier. It was a five-speed. Um, man, I still believe you should learn on a five-speed if you're going to learn how to drive. But um, I remember getting that car. It was probably valued at about five or six hundred dollars, and that thing had a lot of wear and tear on it. A lot of miles on that car. Been a lot of places. And you know what? I wasn't worried about people spilling drinks or food in the back seat. I would take that car out and do a lot of irresponsible things when I was 16. I would pull the e-brake when I was going down a country road with friends. And um, I didn't worry about parking too close to somebody who didn't look like they knew what they were doing when they were parking. I didn't worry about getting door dings and keyed or anything like that. And then fast forward um, to a couple years into my marriage when Lauren and I bought our first car. We had shared a car for our first year of marriage, and um, we had saved, and we were wanting like a second car. Lauren was working from home, and then I was going to school in Kansas City. We were commuting from, I was commuting from Salina and going once a week, and it was like, it's time. We need a second car. Even though you're working at home, this is Kind of, you know, like most Americans, we need a second car. So we went after the second car and we got, um, it was like a six year old car at the time. Um, it was a Honda Civic Hybrid. Now, hybrid was a new technology when um, that car was invented. It was like 2006, 2005. I'm, my memory's failing me. But uh, we dropped, I wanna say we spent $12,000 on that car, right? It was a big time we thought, investment for us, which Dave Ramsey will tell you, cars are not investments, okay? But it was a good car that we thought would serve us really well. It would make life easier and not as complex, and it would just provide all these promises that we felt like it had for our lives. And um, the only problem with this hybrid technology is that it would have, if you're familiar, it's got the engine, right, and then it's got a battery. And so the engine um, would, when you're just driving down the road, the engine would at times kick off and the battery would kick on seamlessly, right? And it was to save gas mileage and to um, you know, maybe decrease on the wear and tear of the vehicle. This is about as much as I know about cars, by the way. So you're getting really, if I look under the, I'm with Andy, if I look under the hood of a car, I'm just doing that. I'm looking under the hood of a car. I have no idea what I'm looking at, but I do know hybrid technology, and I know it because I was on the bad end of that deal. So we thought this will save us gas mile, or yeah, this will save us gas mile money and um, get better gas mileage. And um, but the only problem was with that is that they had insured that battery um, up to about 80,000 miles on the car, and just so happened about 82,000 miles. That battery that they said should last the life of the car started to go out. And we're not talking like, let's go to Walmart and get a $60 battery. It was like, that's like a $2,500, $3,000 investment. And so you better believe that I was a little bit anxious whenever I got the call from our mechanic and they said, ah, you need a new battery and it's just over its warranty. I'm sorry, you know. Um, I was a little bit more worried about keeping that car clean up until that point. But if that had happened to my 94 Chevy, I probably would have just been like, well, buddy, you did good and it's time to retire. You know, time for a new car. I'm not worried about res- spending three grand on a car worth $500. But we had to fix it because it was worth too much. And my whole point is this, more money does not equal less problems. My mom taught me growing up, mo' money, mo' problems. And that proved to be the case for us. Now, before anybody throws stones, let me me just say this. I don't think it's wrong to have nice things. I I think that car was a wise decision for us to to have at the time. It really did make sense for us, and we thought this will last a long time. Now, once we got that fixed, we traded it in, we said we're not going to get a hybrid for a while until the technology is a little more developed. Um, But it's not a bad thing to have nice things. That's not the point here. The point here, before anybody wants to throw stones and run away, is there's a massive difference between being a good steward and placing your hope in something. You see the difference? There's a massive difference between being a good steward and placing your hope in something. You know, we place our hope in money and things when we don't believe our future is secure, right? So I'm not saying don't plan. I'm not saying, we talked about that last week. If you were here, Jake talked about planning for your future. Planning is not bad, but when we try to take control of our future, Right? When we think money will save me from the future of life's storms, we place our hope in it because we believe that we hold our future. Whereas good stewards know and hope in the one who holds their future. Okay, I'm gonna repeat that. I think that's worth hearing again for me, for all of us tonight. We place our hope in money and things when we don't believe that our future is secure whereas good stewards know and hope in the one who holds their future. So this isn't a plea for irresponsible living or for not investing well and not having an IRA or a 403B or whatever it is that you have available to you at work. This is rather a plea not to bow and worship at the altar of financial security and materialism because God sent his son Jesus to give us life to the full and only he can give us that joy. So if we think that we, people being created in God's image, right? We're eternal beings. If we think that we, meant to live for eternity, can satisfy our souls by something that is temporal, we have missed the boat completely. We've missed the boat completely completely. We are eternal beings, and so what's going to satisfy us? Not more of a temporary thing. We need something different altogether. We need Jesus. And so we see here where this has really gotten at its worst. In verse 4, when it says, behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you you see, whenever you've placed your hope in the uncertainty of riches, you will do whatever you can to make a buck, right? You'll cheat on your taxes, and you'll say, well, it's the government. They don't, it's my money, right? It's my money. I don't think anybody here loves paying taxes, but we will cheat. We will lie. We will deceive. We will put other people down and impress others so that we can get ahead. This is what happens when we have started to place our hope and our trust in finances, and yet we see something entirely different in our Savior. Only the gospel can deliver us, right? The rich sacrifice others for their own gain, whereas in the gospel Jesus sacrifices himself for our gain, you see the massive difference. 2 Corinthians 8:9, one of my favorite verses and it illustrates this so well. Says you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Man, what a contrast. When we're placing our hope in our riches and the uncertainty of our future we think is in our hands, we will oppress the other laborers that have served us in our lives. We will lie and cheat and do whatever it can we can to get ahead. But Jesus comes and he does the opposite. Though he's rich, he becomes poor. He leaves all of his riches so that we, by his poverty, by his pouring out his life, might be exalted, might be filled with the riches of glory. And so, man, today in our me, 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 mine, mine, mine mentality that that clouds our culture, but it also clouds our fallen state as people who have sinned and rebelled against God, man, it's robbed us the joy of being part of something greater than ourselves. We are drawn as a culture. We're drawn to superhero movies. I won't have a show of hands in here, but I like superhero movies. I like Marvel movies. I think we're drawn to these movies as a culture because we love the idea of self-sacrifice. We love Iron Man laying down his life to rescue the world, right? We love the idea of Captain America, um, giving it all that he can, sacrificing himself so that we could be rescued, so he could save the world. We love the idea as long as it's Iron Man, Captain America, and not us. It's really fun to experience from our couch, and yet Jesus invites us into a better life. He invites us to live for his kingdom and not just build our own. He invites us into a life of denying ourselves so that we can exalt and lift up others. To build his kingdom, and so let's get practical tonight. I can live in these like theological um, concepts and understanding, but I want to get practical tonight a little bit. Um, What can we do if we actually want to follow Jesus? If we want to reverse the trend of our hearts in this seemingly very condemning um, text tonight? It could be easy just to sit here and, and wallow and just be like, "Man, we have failed and we've messed up." Jesus is our only hope, but what now? How do I live in this freedom? How do I actually walk in this? And so uh, the first thing I would say is to gain financial understanding. Gain financial understanding. Um, one thing I'm glad that we do as a church is that uh, we have Financial Peace University as a class that we offer. Um, we're committed to offering that at all of our campuses um, here at Cross Point um, at least once a year. And there's a lot of Uh, financial understanding that can come through that book. I think that this is true for me. I think it's probably true maybe for many of us as we grew up. Uh, I didn't grow up. I don't remember my mom or my dad sitting me down and showing me um, how to think through finances. I remember going to college and not even thinking of the ramifications of taking out student loans. I didn't even really know that Like, I had to pay those back. I had a friend that said, that's free money, dude. You go get an Xbox once you cash that check. And um, so I did not have the greatest financial understanding. And we saw our parents, right? I remember seeing my parents at the peak of their careers when I was going from high school to college. And I get out of college and I think, that's the life I need. But I'm at the beginning of my career and I have a lot of debt to pay off, student loan debt. And so I, I say this as someone who has, by God's grace, been able to get out of debt and um, have a greater financial understanding through godly men and women who've gone before me and who've poured into me. And so if you're here if you're here tonight and you need financial understanding, just know that we would love to, I would love to, Pastor Ryan would love to just meet with you and just talk to you through um, kind of what the scriptures teach on finances and how to be a good steward. Um, And then the second thing I would say um, beyond getting financial understanding is to pursue contentment by cultivating gratitude for what you have been given. Pursue contentment by cultivating gratitude by all that you've been given, right? The culture says you need more of what you already have. You need a better car. You need a better house. You need a better... X, Y, or Z. Pursue contentment. Give God thanks. And God, thank you. Thank you for my job. Thank you that I have, I have groceries in my fridge right now and in my pantry. Thank you, God, that I didn't miss a meal this last week. Thank you, God, that I have clothes on my back. Because what happens when we're thankful people right? When we give thanks, gratitude often follows. But when we just wait for gratitude to be there to give thanks, um, often we're thankless people, right? Because we don't naturally feel. Our hearts are deceptive. And so sometimes we just need to look at our lives objectively and say, God, you've given so much. Thank you. Cultivate gratitude. Pursue contentment. And then thirdly, make a budget. Um, As you gain financial understanding, I think that you We'll understand better what a realistic budget looks like, how to realistically know how to afford the life that um, God might have for you, not the life that culture says you should have, but the life that God's wisdom says that you should have. Man, we, uh, Lauren and I, have this line item that we started out with in marriage. I just remember we started a budget together. We were doing Dave Ramsey, and um, we made very little money. We had one car in this tiny apartment, and I remember we put on our budget generosity money. And I think it was like a nickel a month, you know. Uh, no, I think it was like $15, $20 a month, you know. And, and maybe that means, you know, not having Netflix or not having Spotify or skipping one Starbucks a month, because Starbucks costs so much. I don't know what that looks like, but for us, it was just saying, we got to start somewhere. And we had a generosity line item, and man, what a beautiful thing to just say, hey, where can we be generous? Where can we give to somebody in our lives who has need? It's just a practical way that you can pursue and follow Jesus in this. Um, I, uh, yeah, this last month we were able to to help somebody that needed a car repair. And it's like, I, I don't say that because, like, look at what we've done. I say that just like, man, like, God has just grown us in this. And we're still, like, got a lot of room to grow in. But, man, what a joy it's been to li- literally experience what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so having a just a line item for being generous to other people, whether that's $10 a month or that's $1,000 a month, being able to do that is so... I'm great. Uh, Maybe you're up for a pay raise at work or you're looking for um, a new job that will afford you kind of more luxury in life. And so maybe a question to ask as those new opportunities are on the horizon are not how can I increase my standard of living, but how can I increase my standard of giving? What can I do if I did get this job promotion that I'm up for? What can I do to use that to increase my standard of giving rather than just my standard of living? And then I would say, give to things that are at the center of God's heart, right? Be generous towards the things that are at the center of God's heart, namely gospel ministry, unreached people groups who don't know the gospel. God is passionate about his name and his mission. And so Give to the things that are close to God's heart. Give to the, the local church, to those who are involved in planning churches. Those who are committed not to just hand out cold water, but to do it in Jesus' name, right? To actually hand out a cold cup of water and provide for somebody's physical need and demonstrate the gospel, but then also to declare the gospel and to share the love of Jesus, to make disciples, to care for the whole person and not just a temporary need. These are just um, a couple things I would say, give it the thing, give to things that are at the center of god 's heart. And I just want to sum up with this from first Timothy 6:17 through nineteen. Four years ago i 'm going to read before I read this, four years ago, um, my family and I got a new ministry assignment from the Lord um, to go serve at a church in Keller. Texas. And as I was doing my homework, we lived in Salina. We were at Cross Point doing ministry. If you don't know my story, we were here for almost six years, and then God called us away and yay, we got to come back. We've been here for about five months now. And when God called us away, I was trying to be responsible as a man in my house to look at just like the culture that we're gonna move to. And so I'm thinking, okay. This is how much I make now. This is kind of what the what housing market is here. This is kind of the average median household income here in Salina. And then I looked at Keller and I thought, okay, let's see what, like, what do I need realistically to make? And Keller's median household income, so the average household income was $120,000 a year. So if you're in the city of Keller and you take a rock and you throw it and you hit a house, the chances are that house makes at least $120,000 give or take. Median in the middle, right? Needless to say, we moved to Keller, but we didn't live in Keller. We lived outside on the other side of the train tracks with about 40% of our church who had to drive into Keller uh, because we could not afford to live into Keller. And I will never forget, we had a missionary at our church in one of the wealthiest cities in America. We have uh, a missionary who was doing ministry in Haiti and As you may know, Haiti is a very impoverished um, country, and he came back, and we were just interviewing him, doing like a panel discussion with him on a Sunday, and I'll never forget uh, the words out of my pastor's mouth, and he said, the same darkness and brokenness that is in Haiti is right here in Keller. We just have more money to pretty ourselves up, right? The same toxic culture, the same sin and brokenness that is there is here, We've just been able to make ourselves look a little bit better on the outsides. And man, I would say that is true for us today. As I've already shared, we are among the wealthiest in the world, even here in Salon. It's easy to look at Keller and be like, man, that must be nice. Well, if that's what you think, you're missing the point, right? You're Missing the point. All of us are wealthy by this world's standards. And First Timothy gives us such great wisdom as we wrap up. It says, as for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, right, prideful, puffed up, is that what's that word means? Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, which breeds anxiety like we talked about. But as good stewards, set your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God gives good gifts to his children. How do we enjoy what God's given us? Well, they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, to really know, man, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Man, I know that this is like what I want. I'm like imperfectly stumbling towards this. I'm not, haven't figured this all out. We're still growing in our understanding of sacrifice and generosity. Man, this is what I want for my life. And then C.S. Lewis says this. He says, if you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in, but you aim at earth and you'll get neither. You just get the anxiety. You get things that you were not looking for and not after in the first place. Look to Jesus, right? Then you get all these blessings and benefits thrown in. I'm going to pray for us tonight just to close us out, and then we'll have some time to just talk. If you guys want to hang around and chat, And, um, yeah, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for your graciousness to us, for giving us your perfect word. And God, thank you that it's not about how good we've been as stewards. um, It's how good our Savior has been to us, that he became poor so that by his poverty we might become spiritually rich in him to know you as Father. And so Lord, I pray that you would make our hearts close to yours, that you would shape us, that you would make us excited about the things that excite your heart and grieved about the things that grieve your heart. God, that we would live lives that are marked by sacrificial generosity, um, God, and show us what those next steps look like for each of us, God, um, in our own lives. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it.